Whatever it is you want to do in life, you'll be able to do. It's always you versus you. That it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you can achieve anything that you set your mind to. Spend the rest of your natural life waking up and going after it. This is my purpose, and you will not stop me. You are listening to Mojo Sports. Yeah, hello and welcome to Mojo Sports, the NFL show season two, episode 10. My name is Dan Frost, and as always, I'm supported by the best panel in the business. Uh, tonight, no Stacey, but we've got Beck and we've got Alex. And guys, you know, it's been a little bit of time now since the uh, since the Super Bowl, but um, I mean, you know, what what a spectacular, what a spectacular day, what a spectacular event, and you know, coming into the game, there was a lot of questions around Cincinnati and whether they'd be competitive coming in as heavy underdogs. But I guess one of the themes, Beck, that we saw throughout the playoffs is just close contests and upsets and, you know, things. a couple of things had gone the other way. Um, we, we, you know, I guess we could have seen the Bengals uh, win the Super Bowl. Um, so let's jump straight into our listener questions. Beck, the question we've got for you is, yeah, what's your favorite moment from Super Bowl 56? hundred percent. Every game in the playoffs came down to a clutch play in the last couple of seconds. And so I think everyone was expecting the Super Bowl to be a close game because the Bengals showed that they competed throughout the entire playoff series. Um, but for me, even though they lost, I think the way that they came out in the second half, Jamar Chase getting that 70 yard, 70 plus yard touchdown in the first play, I think really kind of proved to the Bengals and everyone else that they are competitive and they're there to win and they're showing up and they're giving it their all. Yeah, look, for me, uh, there was so many things that you could have picked up on. There were so many storylines, so many moments that basically changed the game. I mean, there was there was opportunities for both teams to win. But for me, just a bit of a, a different one. I'm going to go with the ankle injuries for both quarterbacks. I just thought that was a really scary moment for fans as we saw Matt Stafford roll up his ankle and that ankle bent all kinds of ways backwards. Uh, and then just to make things a little bit more dramatic, we saw Joe Burrow uh, have a have a similar incident. And I it, w- it was pretty scary for Bengals fans because obviously we know he's coming back from his ACL injury. And, uh, you know, what, what Joe Burrow went through uh, throughout this season, he was sacked 70 times. Uh, breaking records, um, seven. He, he was sacked seven times uh, towards the back end of that Super Bowl. I mean, it, it was just absolute, absolute craziness. Fortunately, both players were able to continue on, but you just think if that was a regular season game, both of those quarterbacks would not have gone back into the game. So it just shows how much toughness these players have to go in there injured, and especially Matt Stafford, who went in there and was able to finish off the game. So uh, kudos to them playing hurt, uh, but can someone... Can someone protect Joe Burrow? Uh, anyway, Alex, that's my little rant. Um, yeah, plenty to talk about here. What was your takeaways? Um, Got to throw it out. The, the halftime show was pretty awesome. Like, I mean, watching Eminem kind of come out and do Lose It, I mean, that just gets you pumped up, right? Like, that was just probably one of the best songs he had. So props to that. Dr. Dre was great. Mary J. Blige, Snoop Dogg, Kendrick Lamar, and even the like 50 Cent picking up. I was like, 50 Cent is not supposed to be there. We showed up. Um, I think for me, the biggest like player performance, Cooper Cup. And I called it on the when we were talking about the Super Bowl in the last podcast, Cooper Cup MVP. I mean, his fourth and one where he like just ran the ball. I was like, what, what is he doing? And it's like one of those things where it's the Super Bowl. Like you're going to get like the, we'll talk about the Philly special from a couple years back. Right. Like you're going to go get that first down or that touchdown. 
however which way you possibly can, but you're going to make it entertaining. Um, so Alex, I just think Cup was that guy for them. Alex, you, 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 we have to give it to you. You did call it. And, I mean, it got so dire for the Rams, they could not run the football. And, again, we spoke about it on the last thing, that they were running on average for about one and a half yards per play. So it just gets to a point where the entire season, the whole Super Bowl, it just lands on Stafford and Cooper Cup. And, you know, the guy's not a running back, but, it you know, it just didn't stop him. I mean, push comes to shove when it's all in the line. You just get the ball to your best player. And, you know, it paid off for the Rams. Definitely did. Incredible, incredible, incredible stuff. A massive celebration of L.A. We had L.A. culture with a halftime show. We had the L.A. Rams at home winning a Super Bowl. And, uh, look, you've, you've got a smile for, for Sean McVay. He's been doing the, the media uh, tour I think he's continuing on this week, so um, hopefully he can get some uh, get some sleep because he's looking a little bit dusty. But congratulations to the LA Rams and to the Cincinnati Bengals. I, I think they do have a bright future. They just need to find some protection there for Joe. All right, guys, let's jump into our first segment for tonight, the huddle. It's do or die. One game. Got hit in the mouth and acted like somebody took our lunch money. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Um, not everything went to, went to plan at all. Uh, and they run through our ass like through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alex, you, you come away talking about the, the highs of the Super Bowl and you think about the Cincinnati, Cincinnati Bengals who would be very disappointed in losing a Super Bowl. You know, they, they'd ultimately think the, the world is ending, but... You know, that you could there, there could be worse situations to find yourself in as a franchise, and we might be talking about one of them tonight. In the huddle, we're going to be focusing in on the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, Alex, the question I've got for you is, has Joe Burrow changed the culture in the NFL? Because a lot of the times you draft a young rookie quarterback and there's patience third year, fourth year, fifth year, you start to be competitive. Joe Burrow's come in on basically one and a half seasons and got his... Know, a pretty ordinary team into the Super Bowl. What does this mean for Trevor Lawrence? How patient are Dra- Jaguars fans going to be? Because this guy was supposed to be a generational talent. Had a few excuses in his first season, but I think there's a little bit of pressure on Trevor to deliver in his second year. Yeah, there's going to be pressure across the board for all those quarterbacks that came in last year. I mean, you're year two, right? You can't talk about the fact that they're learning the game now. They've had a season under their belt. They should know what they're doing. So there's really no excuses for them. You know, the Jags had a lot of tumultuous stuff on and off the field kind of last year with, you know, the coaching staff and and Trevor Lawrence. You know, I I think for him, I think he's got a lot to prove. Um, I don't think he was quite the quarterback that the Jags wanted or needed him to be. Um, But it's not so much the fan base. It's just the front office. It just depends how patient the front office want to be with him, how patient they want to be with their franchise. Um, you know, but I think Joe Burrows has said that's standard on a rookie quarterback coming out and making a splash his second year. So I think it'll be interesting to see what he and the other rookie quarterbacks can do. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely going to be very, very interesting um, when it comes to that quarterback. And look, I watching Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, there is a lot of blame to go around. And we're going to talk about it tonight. There, there are a lot of holes in this roster that certainly need to be addressed to help. But you know, the reality is he, he was not playing well towards the end of the year. I, I know there was a particular game where um, the Patriots played uh, Jacksonville and, and, you know, the Pats were traveling okay. They, they put 50 points on this team and absolutely embarrassed Trevor uh, from a defensive perspective. So he's got a lot of work to do for sure. 
Beck, let's talk a little bit about the head coaching role. So, wow, what an experience the Urban Meyer situation was. We had Grinding Gate, obviously, with the dancing up on the, you know, that little bit of controversy. And anyway, Urban uh, finds himself out of a job. And uh, obviously, we look towards, um, I guess, the new replacement. And before we get into who was appointed, let's talk a little bit about uh, a, a potential coach who missed out on the job. Byron Leftwich, uh, previous Jaguars quarterback, um, obviously the OC there in Tampa Bay. He's probably one of the next big things to come through. All reports suggest that he was offered the job but rejected it because, you know, the GM, Trent Bolke, he's got a bit of a reputation around the league. And, you know, Byron said it was him or me. And, you know, the, the, the Jags back the GM. Yeah, I mean, obviously the GM's been around a little bit longer, so they have a little bit more trust and, um, you know, just, I guess, um, appreciation for the work that he has done around um, the club and, you know, what he has, brings to the club rather than, you know, an ex-player that hasn't been a coach there yet. They don't know what he brings as a coach. They don't really know. As much as he is an upper coming, like he's been with the box, so it's not like he's a bad coach. It's not like he's not capable of the job, but I guess they just have a little bit more loyalty towards their GM. Alex, it is awkward, isn't it? You know, do we do we sack the GM? Do we bring in this new guy? To Beck's point, he's untested. You know, it's and 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 Shad Khan. You know, he he just. I don't think he can make a right decision at the moment. I think I think part of him wants wants his franchise to move to London. You know, he's he's definitely all over the place. Um, but let's talk about um, the eventual hire, and it kind of softens my stance on this a little bit because it is pretty impressive, Alex. He's kind of stumbled over himself and accidentally found himself a decent coach here in Doug Peterson. Um, talk to us a little bit about the former Philadelphia Eagle um, because, yeah, he's, he's got a pretty impressive CV himself. Yeah, I think that was a good pickup for them. Um, I just think that Doug Peterson's kind of vision as a coach, you could talk kind of with the Eagles, might fit the Jaguars system better. Um and I think the issue kind of with Jaguars last year is when you have a co- like new college coach, new co- college quarterback who are still trying to play the college way. I think that's very difficult because you can't do that in the NFL. So I think having that experience, having someone who's got a Super Bowl under their belt, who understands what that pressure is like postseason, um, I think that's going to be a huge impact as far as leading those younger players um, and even those veteran players are on the team. So it's just it's it's that leadership that they lack from that coaching position um which again is why i think you know what's his name from the bucks missed out on the job i think doug Peterson just has more of that kind of experience that they were after yeah absolutely and uh and a former nfl quarterback himself so you know it has a lot of potential there look if trevor sorry if, if doug can get the best out of trevor lawrence that could be something pretty special for the jaguars and you know it's just you know it's got a little bit of joe burrow vibes you know if, if they could turn it around i think it could happen for them pretty quickly but Beck, in order for that to happen, they really need to address this roster. And let's just take a little bit of time to reflect on, I guess, where this roster was not so long ago. Uh, remember Saxonville, where they had basically a defense of all defenses. It was all time. Poor Miles Jack. He finds himself as, I guess, the last man standing, pretty similar to Seattle with Bobby Wagner. Um, I, I guess trying to pick on the defense a little bit here, but you know, it's, it's just, it hasn't been that long. It's only been a few years, but miles Jack finds himself there all alone. Um, the Jags really need to find him some help. I can definitely relate. Cause I feel like what's happening to the Jaguars recently is what happened to the Seattle 
you know, about four or five years ago. So it's it's tough when you do have such a dominant defense and you can't afford to re-sign the players that you want. So you have to look to the draft and you have to look to free agents. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily work out. Sometimes you, you know, you get to keep one or two players, but the players that you pick up don't necessarily fit into your scheme. They lack the talent that, you know, your big paid players are getting. So it's hard. It's a struggle. And not to mention the fact that this defense was on the field, I want to say 80% of the game time, because this offense just couldn't move the ball. They couldn't, you know, stay on the field long enough to let this defense catch their breath, to let them get refreshed and be able to come out and make plays. Absolutely. No, it's uh, that's exactly right. The defense definitely has to take some blame. And Alex, let's just quickly recap on, on that season, three wins, 14 losses, and you come fourth in the AFC South. Now, bear with me here. You're competing against the Titans, who, you know, they're a you know, good team. They, 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 were the, they were the number one seed, so let, let's give them a little bit of pass despite their despite their challenges in the playoffs. But then you've got the Colts, who are totally imploding in and around their quarterback with Carson Wentz, and the Texans, who could be one of the smelliest franchises we have seen in a very, very long time. So anyway, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars still found a way to finish fourth. Um Thinking about who else deserves blame, Alex, here you go. I'm going to wind you up here. Talk to us about the offensive line because one thing we know is if you've got a generational talent at quarterback, it does not matter if you if you can't protect him. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I was it was lucky that Trevor Lawrence didn't get injured this year. Um, so, you know, that's a plus. That's a positive out of his first year, you know, that he didn't come out, you know, with any kind of major injury. He was able to play kind of every game for the Jaguars, which is good. That gives him that playing experience. But that O-line, and we and, and you see it across the league, right? You've seen it with the likes of Justin Fields. You saw it like with Burroughs last year and this year again. You have got to protect those quarterbacks. But even just – it's not even protecting the quarterbacks. It's allowing those run plays to happen through the middle. Like if you can't even block or block the right – way and you're not creating those gaps whether it's on a screenplay whether it's you know you're trying to hit it you know up the middle you've got to be able to do that as well so I think it's those it's those two things in in tandem for the Jaguars it's being able to protect the quarterback but it's also giving you know the opportunities to your running backs you can run the like you can have a running game as well as a passing game uh Beck I think Alex has we try not to give her too many compliments here on the show but I think she's nailed that one because the Jags uh, correct me if I'm wrong and I know this is bold given where they finished and certainly where they're drafting but that's kind of where the potential is in this team uh one of their best offensive players James Robinson he's very much got uh, you know got that sort of he's very versatile, obviously traditional running back, but has been sort of playing a little bit of receiver as well to sort of get get himself moving. To Alex's point, if they can create some more room for him, I I think if James Robinson was playing for one of the top franchises, I think he could potentially be a star. And then another player that I'd like you to talk about, Beck, is their their first round, well, I guess their 33rd pick from last year's draft, uh, running back from Clemson, Travis Etienne, who again, was seen to be one of the best running backs coming out of last year's draft, but done his Achilles and was out for the full year. Talk to us about these two running backs and the potential there. Yeah, I think that was part of the struggle with this Jacksonville Jaguars offense. Like you have this rookie quarterback come in and with the potential of having this um, rookie running back behind him, like it's a great duo to start with. And when then that that didn't work out, they kind of had to adjust Um, with James Robinson and then they relied on him so much to be able to do everything to run the ball to catch the ball it kind of became you know the James Robinson show rather than it should have been the Trevor Lawrence show because he should have been able to step up 
and be a good enough quarterback to get receivers the ball. So I think, yeah, like you said, if James Robinson was in any other top five team, he would be a superstar. But because of this O-line and because of the pressure that the offense put on him to make plays and do pretty much everything, he kind of struggled a little bit, I think. Like it stood out that he's a great player. He had a pretty good season, but he could have had better. Yeah, absolutely. Alex, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, free agency later on in the show, but just quickly, you know, one of the good things about the NFL is if you have a, a bad season, you get yourself some good picks. So the Jags find themselves in a good position again this year. They've got the number one pick, um, and obviously they've got that 33rd pick again this year. What sort of position group should the Jags be looking at? Because it's hard for me and Beck, because when we look at this roster, there's not too many position groups that don't need updating. So, yeah, what are you kind of, what are you kind of thinking here for the Jags? Um, I'd be looking at kind of anything on that line, especially as far as a defensive tackle that sits on the outsides, just to protect him a little bit more, especially on his blind side. Um, I don't know what the stat would be as far as him getting hit front to blind, but he just, he didn't look like he wanted to run as much when he was in the NFL. And I felt like he was under a lot of pressure, a lot of time from his blind side. So that's going to be something that he needs to learn. Um, but yeah, I'd be looking at kind of updating that all line big time and it doesn't even have to be the first round i would go second third fourth whatever round you have to go to get a guy that will put in the groundwork and will you know get down in the trenches for you because in the day that's what your all i need to do yeah absolutely all right guys time to jump into our predictions now so this is a team that won three games this year uh i guess that that's more my question is how many wins will the Jags have moving into next season? Obviously, we're going to give ourselves an opportunity to kind of update this as we get closer to next season. But, Beck, what are you sort of feeling? That there's a lot of potential here in terms of the draft with that draft capital. But, um, yeah, they've got a long way to go here with the new coach. Yeah, with a new head coach, um, a couple of, you know, early draft picks, pick up some good players. Um, there's a lot of, you know, good free agents out there that they could pick up as well. I'm, I'm going to give them a, a, an up from last season and I think they could potentially win five games because there they, you know, their conference that they're in isn't great. So they could potentially win, you know, two, three games just within their conference you know, potentially throughout the season and then, you know, two outside their conference. So I'm giving them five wins and 12 losses. Okay, I like that. I like that. Look, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to go seven. And that's because everyone keeps telling me that Trevor Lawrence is a generational talent. If he's a generational talent, he has to win a minimum, an absolute minimum of seven games. In fact, it should be more based on the Joe uh, Burrow model. So I'm going to go seven, but uh, not with a lot of confidence. Alex, what about yourself? Um, I think for me... I don't know. When you look at the ESPN rankings for next year, like the really early on, Jaguars are still sitting 32nd. So (laughs) clearly, you know, there's not a lot of hope or faith in them. You know, change is good. You know, I think they should embrace that as a franchise right now. I think they're going to go through growing pains. And I think it's going to be a a learning experience for them next season. I could see them. I'm going to go with Beck, like 5 and 12. I think that's going to be kind of their sweet spot. All right, we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that one, Trevor. I still have faith in you. Let's see how we go there. All right, guys, let's jump into our next segment for tonight, the match. The most anticipated match in history, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! All right, guys, we've got an interesting match tonight as we look ahead to the draft. And this one, we're picking out two players. And the question I've got for you is who is the better 
edge rusher in the draft between Kayvon Thibodeau coming up against Aiden Hutchinson. Alex, let's start with Kayvon because it's really interesting for some of these absolute star players who are coming through the college system because, you know, it's getting to the point where there are mock drafts out two years in advance and they have had this kid as the as kind of the number one pick for, you know, 24 months, 18 months, 12 months in advance. So so this guy's known this whole time that, that he's going to go there. And I guess, you know, we're going to talk about some of his stats uh, in a second because it is, it is unbelievable in terms of the physical specimen that he is. But, you know, looking at his play, it was a little bit patchy this year. Um, you know, he had some really good moments. But, yeah, talk to us a little bit about the mentality of trying to stay focused at that college level, knowing that, you know, you want to try and stay injury-free and set yourself up for a long NFL career. Yeah, it's got to be tough. You know, I can't imagine where it's like being in that kind of system and having those draft predictions go through your head and, you know, people just go, oh, you could go, you know, first round. You know, you could go, you know, top 10 first round. I think that's just mentally, I think, and I don't know, I've never been in a college football program, but I would hope that the coaches don't, you know, emphasize that. They just go out there and go, look, you're playing football. And I think that, makes a huge difference for these players um, because you don't really see them kind of really stepping up until it's they're going and getting ready for the combine. Yeah. Um, yes, they have big games. Yes, they step up for their teams, but you don't see them kind of, you know, trying to be bigger or better or faster or stronger, um, you know, to a certain point until they go, oh, we're declaring for the draft. And then once you kind of see that player go, I'm declaring for the draft, you just kind of see it. I, I would say you would see a shift in that player because they're so focused on keeping that, that position, but also it's hard too, as you said, like you don't want to get injured, but also like with COVID, right. You had so many people and players that went back to school for another year. And, and there's always that talk where if you go back for your senior year, you go back for your, like, you know, your junior year, your draft stock goes down. Um, so I think even that there's just so many things to juggle, but I mean, props to this class because I've never seen, so many players outside of like the quarterback and wide receiver position that have like top one, top two, top three, top four. Like when you look at the last couple of years, quarterbacks, receivers, running backs, that type of thing. So it's nice to see like the defensive boys, like being able to get their shot now at the first round picks. Yeah, it, it really is incredible. And I guess Beck, let, let's even be more direct. Kayvon did the minimum. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I guess I, like my bold prediction is I don't think he's going to go number one. And it's because I guess there's, there's, there's two ways to think about it is that, you know, for NFL teams, they're going to be a little bit nervous about his patchy performances. You know, there's going to be some questions about that mentality going into the NFL. But then there's the other side of it where I guess you're going to have NFL franchises that say, well, you talk about a patchy performance. This year he had 35 solo tackles, seven sacks, two forced fumbles. He was disruptive when he wanted to be. Um, you know, I, I guess there's two ways of thought. So so what's, what's your thinking here and, and just quickly going over his stats for you as well led Oregon to 10 and 4 21 years of age 6 foot 4 117 kilos LA boy uh, played 2019 2020 2021 did the min- did the minimum years but yeah what's your thoughts around Kayvon I mean it kind of goes in what Alex is saying that, that like there was so much pressure on him to perform because he was predicted such an early draft so early in his football career you got to wonder if he kind of held back a little bit and just did what he had to to stay on top like like you said he did the bare minimum but his bare minimum was obviously enough 
to make him stand out to every single recruiter in the country and value him at a number one draft pick. Um, so, yeah, he did the bare minimum, but he did enough to not get injured, like, because obviously coming out into draft, especially through all of COVID, through only, you know, playing the three seasons that he did to stay uninjured, to stay healthy and to stay dominant. Like that's a lot of focus and a lot of practice and a lot of planning too, I think. Like I don't think it just happens. He's definitely a type of guy that I think has thought about his career, thought about his future, spoken with coaches, you know, really did what he had to do to maintain his level of play so that he does get drafted. I think you also got to be like, I was just thinking about this, looking at it from the other way too, right? Like if he's been picked to go first for the last two years and he's like, I don't want that kind of pressure on myself as a player going into a franchise like that. He could have turned around and gone, you know what? I'm going to have a, a, a good year that where I'm still noticed, but I'm not going to go off and like fly off the handlebar and be like this beast kind of player because then he's still going to be number one. So I wonder if maybe that has something to do with it too, like with these players, because A, you don't want to go to a franchise like you all know, right? Like the, the worst franchises get one and two picks. So as a player, you're probably looking at going, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go into a franchise that's going to struggle. I want to go in a franchise that's going to allow me to succeed. So I guess maybe that has something to do with it too. Yeah. But also his mentality would be like, why do I have to try my hardest and risk myself getting injured and do, you know, above and beyond when I don't need to, when I've already been recognized, coaches, scouts, recruiters, GMs already know I'm a great player. Why do I need to push myself beyond my limits to prove that like I don't need to prove it so I think that could have had a little bit to play as well like you just have no idea but I think there's a lot of factors that go into his seasons and his draft potential yeah it's going to be great to see and you'd love to see the notes of the 32 clubs that will assess him um although there'll be quite a few who will get nowhere near him because you know does he go number one you know you know there's still a long way to go between now and the draft but he's not going to fall too far that's for sure All right, guys, let's jump over now and have a look at his competitor, Aiden Hutchinson. Alex, you're screwing up your nose because this goes against your every (laughs) fibre, playing at a rival college. But let's give him a little bit of praise. Michigan Wolverines led them to 12-2, and um, an historic season for Michigan. That's that's unbelievable. We we marveled at Kayvon's uh, physical attributes as well. Let's take a look at Aiden's, 21 years of age, 6'6", 120 kilos, was a Heisman finalist, you know, played four years, but he had that COVID year in 2020 where the Michigan program only played three years. So you sort of can't um, judge him too much for that. But Alex, trying to uh, put your uh, allegiances aside, uh, talk to us a little bit about Aiden. Yeah, I feel like you did this on purpose. You picked an Oregon and a Michigan guy, and both those teams beat Ohio State last year. So I feel like that's just rude, first off. Um, Yeah, look, I mean, he's a good player. Um, he definitely made an impact when they were playing Ohio State. He's had he was third. I mean, his rankings are good, right? He was third in sacks for the season with 14. Um, so he's definitely, you know, getting to the players he needs to get to. And as you said, he's a big, big guy. And, and I also think he's one of those players when you watch him, he's just he looks like one of those players where he's like, I'm gonna go get that quarterback or I'm gonna go get that ball. Um, and I think he looks like someone that's willing to do the grunt work. I don't know if the pressure, again, I don't know how we'd fare in a system, say, like Jaguars of Detroit, who, you know, like struggle to get to the quarterbacks. <laughs> um, so I feel like for him, while he's a good player, I think it might be 
you know, a detriment to his play of going top pick. Um, I'm not saying that he can't. There's there's a couple of draft stocks that, that think that he could. Um, but yeah, he he's a, he's a beast of a player. But I'd just be worried. He needs to be in the right system. I think. Yeah, absolutely, Beck. Uh, he's a very interesting one, Aiden, because outstanding player. I mean, we are we are really picking on you know some some finer parts of of these um, you know these kids these kids play um, great player had a great season was very disruptive for Michigan but. Probably the one thing that I saw, you know, to Alex's point, when you think about that number one pick, the, the you know the absolute best player, there was a young player at Alabama, a pass rusher by the name of Will Anderson. And for our listeners, if you have not seen Will play, this kid is absolutely phenomenal. Now he's not draft eligible; he's going to come out a year after. That was my only uncomfortability, Beck, is that you had Will who absolutely dominated in those playoff games and he really showed what it takes to be an absolute elite defender. So to Alex's point, Aiden is fantastic. He's probably, you know, leading this class, but you know, he's he's not an out and out absolute lock for that number one pick. Talk to us a little bit about Aiden and um sort of what you've seen from him this year and again he he didn't win the Heisman, another quarterback beat him, but um still a successful season. I mean, I think it's it's a reward in its own to be nominated as a Heisman and it kind of just goes to show the potential that he does have. Like like Buck said, he's a big guy and it shows in the way that he plays. Like he's very dominant. He gets into the backfield. To get 14 sacks in the season is pretty amazing. And in the team that he's playing in, like if we do compare him to Williams, who is over at Alabama, who is playing in a great franchise, like a great club over there that has a lot of other defensive support around him. So like... You know, he's playing with other elite defensive players where, you know, Aiden over there is kind of maybe one or two of a dominant defending player. He's on an island. Yeah, in that Michigan defense. So for him to stand out and make plays kind of does make him look beyond, you know, his abilities, but he's also making the play. So you can't underrate him for the fact that he is getting in the backfield. He's disrupting. He's, yeah, he's just a huge player and he's a Sorry, he's a defensive end that just has his arm span would be huge. He's not just in the backfield, but he can deflect balls. He can kind of do it all. I love that you kind of just called Michigan's football program bad without actually calling them bad. But I just want to say that I just want to say that as an Ohio State fan, I just wanted to pinpoint that, that you're like, Alabama is a great program. Michigan, eh. (laughs) That's it's, not how I meant it, but I feel like Alabama is such a well-known college and has always been on top that their defense is across the board great, where Michigan hasn't always been such a well-known, dominant kind of, you know, program. The shade. I have no problems with it. I just wanted to agree with you. The shade, the shade. All right, guys. Well, no sitting on the fence when it comes to the match. We've got to pick a player here. I'm going to jump in first. It is, it is really, really difficult. I think I'd be feeling a little bit uncomfortable being at the top of this draft this year. I've said that multiple times. So if I was one of those teams, I'd be trying to trade down. But if I was forced to kind of pick a player at the top there, um, I think Kayvon has got a uh, he's got a higher ceiling. I think he could be a better player longer term. But, you know, he's got... There's a lot more risk to that. I think his floor's a lot lower. Aiden, I think there's a lot more consistency. I, I think he's a he's a you know, he's a good player. He's a guy that could just come in and start straight away. He's not going to be an out and out superstar on your team, but he's certainly going to be a player who's going to be reliable and he's going to be able to contribute. So for me, I know it's a little bit dull. Beck, Alex, I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to go Aiden. Um, Beck, what's your thoughts on this? 
you know what, I'm, I'm going with you this time, Dan. I don't know if I often pick the same match as you, are, but like tonight I'm feeling Aiden Hutchison. I just feel like um, regardless of what franchise he gets picked into, I think he may fit into the scheme a little bit better and adjust and they'll be able to move him around and use him to his abilities. So I'm, I'm picking him. And Alex, you get the uh, you get the final say on this one. We're we're all aboard Michigan. You've got a little bit of bias here, so we're we're, we're mindful of that. But uh, no, what what are you thinking? Because it is they are two fascinating players. They are, and I don't think I've ever picked a Michigan player in a matchup, so I'm not going to start now. So I'm going to go with Kayvon, um, just because I think the one thing that might happen with Aiden is he might come out at a bit too much guns blazing. You know, and, and we'll get like overhyped and, and might injure himself or something might happen or it just might, you know, might get too kind of, you know, interested in like going to get the quarterback. Because I think Kayvon's probably a little more like level headed and putting the work in, understanding that there's growth to be had in that position and there's growth to be had in the NFL, right? I think sometimes when you come in a bit cocky, you kind of go, I got this. I'm in the NFL now. It's like, yeah, hold on, buddy. It's a very different game. So I think Kayvon probably is just as far as learning the game and understanding what his role will need to be. I think K1's a better pick, and he's not a Michigan boy. Yeah, I love that. No, he's going to be disruptive, that's for sure. And again, to our listeners, uh, keep an eye out on Will Anderson. Again, just a little bit of a plug for that Alabama player. You want to see a pass rusher, that kid is something special. All right, guys, let's jump into our final segment for tonight, Rapid Fire. And we're going to talk all about that and a whole bunch of other things. What you need to know tonight. Sincere apologies to Matt Damon. We ran out of time for him tonight. We'll get him on the air again soon. Oh, my boss is saying closing time. Maybe that's what you're doing. All right, guys, in Rapid Fire, let's talk free agency. And the question I've got for you is, thinking about the Jaguars, who we spoke about tonight, uh, which free agent should they be targeting? And Alex... Every year you look at the the top free agents that are on the market and, you know, most of the time on your franchise, we, we had, you know, had a bit of a difficult year. You kind of want to sign them all, right? You want to bring them all in, but that's not the way the world works. So, you know, quite often you can only get one, maybe two. If you were the Jags, who would you, uh, who would you make a run for? If I was a Jags, I'd go with Chris Godwin. I just think he is a solid player. I think he's, he, he, I think he's – correct me if I'm wrong, but he's injured right now, I think, coming out of the playoffs. So I think that would be, you know, a negative aspect to him. But I also – I think he's not – he hasn't been in the league for that long, right? He was picked in 2017, so he's got some experience under his belt. So he's not a true veteran in the position, but he's also not a rookie. And I think that kind of sweet spot um, for the Jags is kind of what they need. I mean, he was 11th overall in receptions of 98. He had – you know, 1,100 yards, five touchdowns, and he was averaging 11.3 kind of, you know, uh, yards per catch. So if I'm the Jags and I'm looking for someone who can be consistent while also being explosive and lead a younger kind of wide receiver core, I'd be going with Godwin if I was the Jags. Yeah, no, that's a fair call. And and it's quite rare that you'd see such a young player reach free agency. You know, a lot of the times the teams would snap them up. And the only reason the Bucs didn't is because they had all of that salary cap pressure on them. So, um, and they might even be able to get him a little bit cheaper with that ACL injury. So no, that's a good call there because Trevor Lawrence definitely needs some weapons. Look, for me, uh, you know, the, the Jags, you look at their offensive line, they do have some good names there in uh, Cam Robinson there at left tackle, but you look at the statistics and, and you know, the fact that, uh, you know, they got Noel there in centre, but you look at how often Trevor Lawrence was sacked this year, totally unacceptable, so I would be... I'd be looking to sort of blow that up and, and try and provide some better better protection there. So I know the Saints left tackle, uh, Teron Armstead, I know that he's... Um, 
He's a free agent this year, so I'd be going hard at him. He's 30 years of age, which you know isn't too old as well for that for that offensive tackle. You want someone that's got some experience there as well. Has had some injury issues in the past, which is a little bit of a concern, uh, but the Jags need to address that O-line for sure. All right, Beck, plenty of uh, ways you could have gone here. The Jags need a lot of help, but um, you know there are quite a few good free agents out there this year. If you had to pick one, who would it be? I mean, any free agent from any position would help the Jags. But in hopes that they do pick up a couple of O-linemen in the draft to help support the O-line, I'm going to go the opposite and go the D-line. We've just seen Von Miller play in the Super Bowl. He's a little bit on the old age. He's 33 this year. But I think the performance that he showed in the Super Bowl shows that he still has it. He still has the ability to get into the backfield. He's a great pass rusher. And I think it might help bring a little bit of this Saxville defense back to life with Von Miller on the edge there. All right, guys, look, that's all the time we have tonight. Just want to thank my amazing panel, always bringing the heat as we talk all things NFL. And to our listeners, we do appreciate your support. Continue to help Mojo Sports grow. Uh, Download the podcast each and every week. Other shows if you can as well. Share with family and friends. And until next week, we'll see you then. You have been listening to Mojo Sports. Thank you for your support. It is very much appreciated. The team and I are trying to build something a little different here, so everyone's support is very much appreciated. Continue to support the podcast, download, subscribe, check out our social media channels, give us a follow, and be sure to tell your friends about Australia's best-kept secret. This is Mojo Sports.